Hi Chini Maji family. This week Chini Maji podcast is back with a bang. We bring you a mind-blowing episode with the one and only Chris Orwa, a data scientist at INM Bank. His story is one of a childhood passion turned interest, turned career. His views on the startup world in comparison to the corporate world will leave you thinking. Be enlightened and enjoy the podcast. How you guys doing, Chinemaji family? We are back with the Chinemaji podcast, and it's been a while since we had uh, a new guest uh, on the platform, and we're super excited about 2020. Can't believe it's already almost March. March. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's almost March. Right? Q1. Um, yeah, Q1 is, is halfway through. Um, and uh, yeah, so we are excited to be back and uh, have an amazing guest this week, as per usual. Um, and we have the one and only Chris Orwa. <laughs> the one and only. <laughs> <laughs> and Chris, um, how are you doing? Oh, that's a tough question to answer. <laughs> Always having so many things going on. But I think okay. And how is 2020 treating you so far? Well, I think it's so many things to do, um, more opportunities, and thinking about doing different things, uh, doing more like some entrepreneurship on the side. Uh, because I've been uh, been working, but I think I need to f- figure out a way of out of work thing. So I'm trying to figure that out. Hopefully, your employer doesn't hear this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> No, the, the, the employer should bless you. It's like, hey, uh, you know, if, if you're you know, for, for other companies, like I think in, in Google, if you want to launch something within the company, they encourage you and then they even give you the seed funding for, uh, for that. Or you can even build something within the company and it becomes a new product. So it doesn't have to be just moving out and setting on company. It's just building something new that gets exciting and will probably change the market, hopefully. Yeah, well, I mean... Mindset, right? We're not, we're not in that part of the world. <laughs> we, we still struggle with this notion. But listen, um, I think in this day and age, uh, most ambitious people are looking to actually try their hand at entrepreneurship, trying to solve some problems that they see around them. And kudos to you. I mean, for me, I think entrepreneurs are the people who move the needle, right? Um, yeah. yeah, there's, there's a, a neat term as well. It's called entrepreneurship. We use lots something within the company. Where right. You don't necessarily have to move out of the company. Right. It's all like innovating within the company so yeah, that's yeah. great too yeah yeah that's you know uh, it's about innovation and solving problems it, yeah. that you don't have to be out there as an entrepreneur you could be anywhere and honestly this notion of being an entrepreneur sometimes is mis- misunderstood I think I, I think everybody who is trying to solve a problem anywhere they are in the world where they're owning the whole uh, the, the whole problem, if you will, and trying to insert a solution into into society or wherever it is that they're existing in, that's entrepreneurship, in a sense. Yeah, oh. it's, it's, it's very tough out here. You, you know, if you, if you take away the, uh, like, the mindset side of an entrepreneur, you, know, you came from nothing and built anything, you, know, you have to find customers, you have to find someone who's paying you, you have to set up all the business processes. You have to set up an office. You have to do all the legal stuff. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. you know it's it's very tough. And uh, I think one of the things that the lesson gets missed mm-hmm. when the entrepreneurial uh, how do you call it uh, train is being passing around, it's a high stress job or it's a high stress en- endeavor. No one prepares you for the stress. Yeah, it is. It is crazy. Uh, uh, having been through it over the last <laughs> uh, two years, uh, 
it is it is definitely uh, an intense thing. But anyway, let's let's kind of move into introductions. Chris Orwa, lead data scientist at INM Bank currently. Ah uh, yes. And uh, welcome to the podcast. Super excited to have you. There's so much ground we can cover, but uh, the themes today are going to be really, um, you know. I guess tech and data science, your path into that, and okay. your interest in entrepreneurship, you've also worked at startups, okay. um, and giving us a sense of what that experience has been like. The purpose of the podcast is to just uh, give people some insights and some grounding uh, okay. in terms of reality, some of the things we've already been talking about so far, so people don't have to repeat the same mistakes that okay. other people have made, or they can actually develop insights uh, in, in the innovation entrepreneurship ecosystem in Nairobi. So localizing knowledge and distributing it to our ecosystem. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? You know, where did you go to school um, and how did you get into tech? What was your path? Oh, well, maybe to start from childhood. So if, if you ask anyone from like a family or friends, like, what this guy going to be? Everyone's like, no doubt, this guy's going to be like an electrical engineer because I used to take radios apart. You know, always you know tinkering thing that you uh, used to do. So oh, you're one of those kids. Oh yeah, I used to have like fans in the, in the bedroom, like different. You know, tried making up a petrol motion machine by having like one motor as a generator, another one is a, you know connected together. A success card that you know goes to the tune of the music and all those crazy. Wow, it's more it's more sad. So you, you can imagine the bedroom that I shared with my brother was full of trash. And they're like, what the heck? Electronics. Like, on, electronics and kind of things. So it was very clear to like everyone. And I wanted to be like an uh, electronics engineer. Okay. So that's the path I pursued. Even going through high school, I was more interested in sciences. And uh, when I finished high school, I, re- I remember so I was asking my uncle, like, what should I do? It's like, don't do electronic engineering. You end up as a radio repair guy. I do computer science. <laughs> radio repair guy. <laughs> yeah. And then I was like, oh, what's this computer science thing? Uh-huh. And I was like, what about computer engineering? So right. I, compa- I, w- I went to... Uh, they used to release the course outline that I checked out computer science and computer engineering and I was like, oh, they're not so different from right. the course uh, outline. Then he was like, hey, Which no. school? Which university? That was KU, uh, okay. Kenyatta uh, University. Mm. Then I was like, oh, okay, doesn't seem so bad. Then he was like, hey, uh, computer science, you could create websites, manage databases and that kind of stuff. So when I did computer science in uh, KU, I found it interesting. So it was like half the course was like a lot of mathematics, a bit of physics and then programming. In, in that case, and um, I was most interested in the very technical aspects, you know, the mathematics and the physics of, of it. And by the time I was getting to fourth year, I was like, you know, the only thing I could feel like was so we did a bit of game development, which mm-hmm. is like extremely uh, technical, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like mathematics and uh, kind of stuff. So I was like, hey, I want to create games, like this, all these good games like Crisis, the game engines are like really crazy to create. So we took a course, uh, we were like six people, called Advanced AI. We were like, hey, maybe we could, you know, learn how to create interesting characters in the game. Then this lecturer came in and was like, we're going to do Advanced AI, but specifically we're going to do data mining, mm-hmm. which is like a small aspect of AI. Then we're like, oh God, we didn't have any Then it was like, hey, just hold on. So he started teaching us about algorithms and, you know, and all the things he was doing, like predicting fraud for different insurance companies, predicting stock market movement. I was like, wow. this thing is so cool. <laughs> it's like, it's so great. Like, what else can you do? You can predict weather. And he just kept on like giving us examples. And I was like, from that on, I was just like mind blown. Wow. I, I didn't even think of anything else. So let me ask you a question. Was this part of the computer science coursework? Was it a class at KU or what was this? 
Oh yes, 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 it will. So in in the first second year, you do a course called AI, which is a basic AI how robots work, and then there's an advanced AI, which is now the mathematics, the algorithms, the machine learning, and everything else. So it's more in depth, and it incorporates all the mathematics you've learned, which is why I got interested in it. In it, mm. most of the people who were doing like web development were like, "Why are we learning calculus? Why are we learning linear algebra? Why are you going back we're, to math? Yeah, yeah we're not going to apply this anywhere." Right. And then all of a sudden, the three years of mathematics that we did already has an application in all these algorithms. So you know, like this is where everything connects. This is where it makes all uh, sense. So yeah, so it was a unit, is an optional unit at the fourth year level. Okay. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So it was it was an optional unit. Yeah, it was an optional unit. So we only six of us. Interesting. Who ended up doing that uh, course? Mm-hmm. Funnily enough, none of those six people actually are data scientists right now. Interesting. One of one of the guys is a software developer. The other two guys just did it for fun. Another guy just did it because he needed to fill some something fancy. His course. So it was an optional uh, unit amongst others. So another called neural networks. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For for that case. Uh, so I uh, that's where the Bug. Bug. Hit you. Hit. It's interesting how um, <clears throat> none of those people you, I guess, took the class with are in data science AI right now. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So it's interesting because so when when we were doing the course, the term data science never existed. This okay. was like in two thousand and nine. Okay. Okay. Data science never existed. The only term was called data mining. Okay. And it had a very specific uh, definition mm. where you it used statistical methods come up with new insights, but those have to be useful. So the mm. two key words that you've always been taught, it has to be new. Mm. It doesn't be something that a business didn't know previously. Mm. But mm. apart from new that, insight. it doesn't have to be useful to the business. Okay. Yeah, and there's also something you're taught, it's called crisp DM, cross, oh, I'm forgetting it, cross industry, standard process for data mining. Mm. So different at that time, there were different uh, companies, IBM, Stata, Everyone was doing a bit of data mining, but it was not standardized. So right. they came up, standardized this, created this standard format, how you have to do data mining, and it was so. So actually, I was like, you'd call yourself a data mining practitioner. So what, what, what does data mining mean? It sounds like you're going into databases and trying to <laughs> Wait, so, so, mining for insights. So the, the, yeah, so they only say two things. You have to find new information, whether you're doing, you know, comparing, you're doing regression, whether you're doing mm-hmm. whatever you do, Right. You have to mm-hmm. come up with new information. I give you a database about transactions in the supermarket. Okay. Is there anything new you can tell me that right. I didn't know as a product manager? Right. right. And is it useful to my business? Can I do that? Those the two definitions. Those two aspects make up data mining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so later on, when the word data science comes in, which is all over in the air, mm-hmm. it's not nailed down. Right. So mm-hmm. f- 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 for me. I but let me ask you a question. How is data science different than data mining? Because it seems like, at the end of the day, the goal is the same thing, right? No, Give me data insights and let me use... There is no standard definition of data science. But the practical one, in my mind, is from a business standpoint, yeah. okay? Help me make my business better. Help me make me more competitive. Yeah, but if say, someone says, I visualize data, that's data science. Mm. I do, you know, you could think of machine learning, statistical analysis, anything that has to do with data goes in as data, data science. science. But the, the thing is still this, you visualize this, so what? To what end? Yeah, so the reason why for me it was even troubling at first yeah. was like, what is this data science thing? Right. It's, it, everyone, you know, it's, it, the spectrum is so wide. Right. But when it comes to data mining, it is so, so specific, specific right. right, that you know whether you did data, data mining or not, right? Mm. And it was very easy, like these are the algorithms that the categories you can do, you can do classification, you can do this, mm. and, and, and the lack of that. Mm. So at that point, none of those people went into the market because 
there was no title, there was no job. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was no <laughs> job, there was no data scientist, there was no company, yeah. Seeking and, those skills? Yeah, and I remember that time in 2010, was it 2011, that's when Kaggle was launched. Who? Kaggle.com. Kaggle, okay. Yeah, yeah. Really they got yeah. launched, mm-hmm. and they're trying to, you know, uh, define this, people going for conferences. And uh, maybe that to segue into, into another story, you know, I was like, this thing is so cool. We're just trying to find data and play around with data and just discover new things. And uh, so I had a, uh, uh, a colleague who was also, he never took the course, but I used to take my notes and give it to him. I'm like, hey, this is what we launched today. Right, wow. And then he was like, oh my God, this thing sounds so like, mind-blowing mm-hmm. and kind of mm-hmm. stuff. But we'd go find data anyway and just play around uh, with it. That's awesome. Yeah. That yeah. You had a passion for... Yeah, it, it, it was cool because... I never thought that I'd end up doing this as a job. This was a, this was a hobby, pure hobby. You go work at a cyber cafe, <laughs> you know, then do some networking here and there, then come back in the evening and just try to hammer out this thing uh, out. So, and then, so the problem, uh, my colleague is called Elvis. He, he was an entrepreneur. He was, you know, in the university, he used to like do a, you know, print posters for people. You know, sell things in the in the school uh, mm-hmm. canteen. Was he also technical? Yes, very technical. He was doing software engineering. I was doing computer science. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the co- the course is uh, the same, but the third year, and then the specialization are different. Mm-hmm. So, but the basics are the same. So I was like, hey, you know, I was you know trying to figure out, hey, what can we do with this thing? Then one day we decided, hey, hey, let's. You know, I was just telling a story. I've been trying to find a book. I can't find it. Google is not being very helpful. I couldn't find it. You know, a, a website where you could just go put in a partial information and just gives exactly what you want. We talked through it, and uh, it was like, hey, how with all these machine learning things you've learned, we could put this thing to use. The next day, we were walking down the street from KU to Kahala, mm-hmm. and then we asked a guy, hey, how do you call such in your local language? Then he said, I think he said, Queda or Queda, which mm-hmm. is really cool. Mm-hmm. Then he just called a friend, registered queda.co.ke, went and registered the domain, called another guy to set up the website. The next day, rented a two bed, a one bedroom house in Kahala, bought furniture and computers, and like, hey Chris, we have a company. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, so. What next? What next? So we could, we're going to build a company to give people precise information. It's sort of like ask.com, but now automated. So you're building another search engine? Yeah, so it, it, you know, at that point in time, when you wanted to know like who's the fifth president of the US, mm. well now if you do that in Google, it pops up an answer immediately. Yeah. But back in 2009, mm. 10, that was not that. Mm. You had to show you links, you had to click that link and read a okay. whole Wikipedia page and find the answer at the bottom. Interesting. So we just like index those pages mm. and extract that information for you. So it's like, where is, let's say, uh, you're going for an interview or late, where is, Westgate Mall. Right. It's two meters from you, or it's. How would you. Okay, I don't want to get too technical with this because I'm very curious about this type of stuff. Yeah. How, would you, how would you get that information and surface it very quickly? Because you need some kind of. You'd have to API into Google's mapping engine because you yeah. didn't have a mapping engine. Or oh, yeah, so the Google indexes all websites in the world, right? right? And we can compute with Google. Right. Like most of the answers we can give you are already on uh, Wikipedia. Right. So, the Wikipedia, oh, so Wikipedia was your back end yes, repository? Yes, Wikipedia was our back end. So, okay. Wikipedia API, we just index uh, everything. But how would you be able, Wikipedia never tells you the distance between places like that? Yeah, so those are like additional things. Once you can answer, so we can only answer six things what, where, when, 
right? So the question like how and why you cannot answer. So like, hey, you release the like version one of the website. Okay. You can only answer, uh, say what is this, and then you answer it. <laughs> then you build upon that, and then and when is this? This then is you, awesome. <laughs> yeah. So you, you 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 know you iterate and gradually mm-hmm. develop answer those questions, and mm-hmm. where now you can integrate maps and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. etc. But it's supposed to be a very basic thing that helps you to get answers quickly when you need them, right? So uh, we build like we build that website and. Uh, so you know, we launched it and apparently it went viral. And uh, at some point, I think we were looking at Alexa.com. We we're like the eighth most visited website in Kenya. What? Yeah, and it was like, oh man, we got something here. And you know, Elvis was fired up. And <laughs> at some point, we had like a staff of ten. Right. How are you funding this thing? So all this was from Elvis. So I remember from first year, I used to run all these businesses. Okay. So he had like some. You know, some war chest sitting there, <laughs> uh, sitting uh, somewhere, and you're like, hey, you know, this is the thing that will, you know, mm, propel take us to the next level. Take us to the next level. We'll sit down in the evening and, you know, read about, you know, Steve Jobs and how he built Apple and mm. kind of stuff, and just nag out mm. uh, in, in the evening. Like, hey, we can do this thing, you know, changes in this stuff. So it's a, it's a, it was great, and I think uh, I mean, had the better. It was running most of the businesses. I was just most of the technical aspects uh, mm. running it. Mm. Uh, there were some offers for like investments. Really? Yeah. From where? I think there was a South African guy who got to contact with Alves, and he was like, "Hey, can I invest some money?" And uh, how did he find you? He there was a contact there. I was like, "Hey." How do you how did he find? I guess people just look. I guess investors are in the business of looking for places to put money, so you somehow found found. Yeah, yeah. So I think you just saw the email of or you went to the website, I found a contact and you just sent an email to the Okay. To that. Yeah, and it was like, hey, this thing is like really, you know, catch catching up. It was so exciting. I was trying to recruit guys we worked with. The guys one of the guys we went to we did the AI course with in KU. I was like recruited him as like one of our first recruits and just getting people interesting to work. They're like, hey, let's just go with this thing, let's go with this thing. So it was great. Well, we never thought about the monetization aspect. You know, mm-hmm. like just build this thing <laughs> until it becomes great. At this point, you know, it was like, hey, uh, we have to think about monetization because we gotta make some money. We gotta make some money, and the watches is getting uh, thin. It's getting thinner by the day. <laughs> it's uh, like, okay. not a war purse. It's not, <laughs> it's not a watch just anymore. Yeah, it's no longer watch. Yeah, they're like, okay. So we uh, we wanted to build like an advertising model. We didn't get finished. In time, and your know, development team is getting bigger, and then you're like, "Hey, let's build another website." So let me ask you a question. So basically, you guys were going through this thing without a business strategy attached to it. Yeah, and I think we're just like twenty-two year olds right. from university, right. thinking like, you know, we're gonna be the next Bill Gates and Steve mm-hmm. Jobs, and right. we're just going with it. And business strategy comes first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In our the, market, especially. Right? Yeah, like, you know, it's 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 it, you you could have the biggest. You can have the highest traffic in Kenya, but if you cannot monetize it or you don't have a plan of how to monetize it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. So after that, you moved into. So you've had some. So that was your first. I didn't even know this about you. So you, you've actually taken a run at, at a startup right out, right out of school. Oh, yeah, it's right out of college for, yeah, for about two years. Okay. Until now, we couldn't make any money, and you're like, hey. Shut up, shop. Close shop. Close shop. Went back home. Yeah. You have to figure something to do. So after that, I briefly worked as an FX trader. Okay. So as a friend who was doing FX, introduced me how to do FX. So I you know, got in a bit of money, but I was also consulting on the side. And then like, I became an FX trader for a while. It was mildly successful. 
and then <clears throat> I got an offer to work for IHAB because I was in, I was in uh, connection with the people working at IHAB and they were looking for a data scientist so I joined IHAB as a junior data scientist mm. for some of their social media You must have been one of the first data scientists with that title in our market, <laughs> I would imagine. Well, <laughs> probably yes, I don't know, but at that point I remember... How many other data scientists did you know at the time with a title? Oh, <laughs> probably none, because I, I met uh, Jessica Colasso, who was running I Have Research at that point, and then she'd be going to conferences, and uh, she's like, hey, I know there's all this thing called data science, and, you know, uh, what at that point, uh, so together with Elvis, we did a blog post, we just collected some Python shortcuts, and we are trying to break the code that was there, we did it partially successfully, and then we sent it to I Have, and we posted it in the blog, and it was viral. And then Jessica was like, this is what data science is from what she had gone to the conference. Right. This is what data science is. Mm -hmm. And then you know, she, she asked me to actually come in and do the same thing for the project that they have. So uh, I think my first title was junior data scientist. Then I was paired up with a, an Australian guy who came in as a volunteer. And he had a PhD in quantum mathematics. Wow. And uh, he was, you know, he was uh, modeling risk for traders in the HSBC bank mm. in Australia. Mm. And he was showing me what he did, and I was like, I don't think, <laughs> the, it, from his end, they were called quantitative modelers mm -hmm. in, in Australia. Mm -hmm. right? But it's the same thing. You, you look at trades, and you look at which one are risky, and you advise traders like, you know, get out of this position, etc. But the level of math was next level. Was next level. I was like, I don't even think I should even get closer to that. Right? Mm -hmm. But you know, he had not done machine learning stuff, he had done like the really hardcore uh, math in that, in that case. So it was just interesting, like all this machine learning stuff is all about. So at that point, all of us, we had the title data scientist, but because he had the crazy math, he was called senior data scientist and was called the junior. What was he doing here? Oh, interesting story. So, <laughs> brief version. Oh, the brief version. <laughs> so uh, uh, his girlfriend moved to Kenya. He was like doing a lot of some very interesting work. And uh, so they decided to move in. Leave his job in, in uh, Australia and come to Kenya, and then I think he got bored and he's like, I gotta volunteer. Okay, so, so he was just following his girlfriend, yeah, he was following his, his girlfriend to Kenya, and then he got bored and he's like, I gotta find something. So I can do, yeah, yeah. And then he, I think, he went online and found I have, and it's like, hey, I can come volunteer because at that point, I have had a like a graduate exchange program or something like that. Mm -hmm. Then he came in and joined, and so he, he was joined as a volunteer, and then he became an employee. Uh, later on, yeah, so he was just like a, a mad scientist roaming the, <laughs> roaming the world. Yeah. And so after, after that, what did you move to well, after IHAB? Yeah, so I stayed at IHAB for almost four years. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So different places, a data scientist, and then uh, became a lead data scientist. We had a consultancy unit, consulted that for a while, and then left. Uh, so what type of consulting were you doing and for who? Uh, so this was basically like mercenaries. Okay. You, you get called in into the... Uh, the company you have a problem that needs solving and you solve it, but it's a very wide ranging. Uh, I think one of the most interesting ones was there's a company in Tanzania. They wanted to advise farmers uh, what they should grow uh, for a longer period and also uh, the likelihood of their land turning into a desert. So we were given like 30 years worth of satellite images, month by month for, for 30 years, wow. and using that as opposed to using the pixels, coloring, green and you know white, etc. To predict an area where it's like a time to a desert. Interesting. Uh, kind of thing. So it's like very heavy processing, extract all the pixel values, uh, pass it into some, some SPI, and then you give a value, and then they text a farm. 
whatever model you build, the text will come for that. So and what, what would the spammer see? The spammer would just get a simple text message. Like, Same. Uh, in the next 18 months, your line is likely to uh, be more dry. So don't plant cassavas. Oh, wow. Yeah. This is very uh, useful information, right? Um, it's, it's actionable insights? Was yes, it yes, it's very actionable uh, insights. So the, the, the work of the company is to advise farmers what to grow okay. uh, primarily. And so the, one of the things we looked at is satellite images. So that was one of the best data sources to tell you, like the certification. And right. that one tells you maize, blah, 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 because of this area. Mm. And then you to avoid unnecessary losses for, for farmers, uh, because depending on under the weather patterns, yeah, some, some crops will do well. Yeah, and so you can predict what actions to take based yes, on all yeah. that information. Yeah, so, it's, yeah. Yeah, so what, what, uh, how successful was this, I mean, in your, in your view? Like I would say, okay, so you know, as a data scientist, when you're consulting to just build that model, your work ends once you build that model. So you don't follow through. So yeah. you don't follow through, and, the and also they don't let you through in all those uh, areas. Yeah. Yeah, so, but from our end, that was really interesting, interesting. and successful, and very impactful uh, work uh, that we did. Uh, yeah, so, and it was very, also very technical. And then after that, what, what was next after I have? What, what was the so, next? I have a joint brave venture labs. Okay. So, they were just launching, uh, figuring out how to use AI for time placement. Yeah, a very difficult problem to solve. It is, it is, and uh, we took on a research. Uh, approach, which is like, yeah, we don't know all the answers, but we're going to have this uh, journey. So we assume that there's some information about you, either from your CV, how you write, and everything that you are, how you express yourself, that can tell whether you can be... Semantic information into... Yeah, both, it's also, it's also, semantic is part of it, mm. right, but there's also other things, your code, etc., yeah, yeah, yeah. that will definitely tell you. It, it sounds like a very solvable problem with... Yes, AI, right? I mean, I'm sure it, it probably is. Yes, right? uh, they're, they're still solving that problem uh, yet. Yeah, but it's there's certain aspects about somebody you can tell. Like, can you work in a corporate company? Do you work, do you work well in a corporate company? Do you work well in a startup? Do you work well in a mid-sized company? What kind of team do you work best work with? So that once you break down the problem and then you figure out can AI solve that problem? Which data source is needed uh, for that? So we built uh, some systems. We did some experiments uh, here and there. Uh, I think it was it was mm, I'd say mildly successful because sometimes when context changes, the systems break and you have to either rebuild the models or figure out what did you miss or is this data source even reliable for certain questions. So I think the the best thing in this kind of approach is to break down the problem and figure out. In this recruitment, in this problem of time placement, what are the elements of it? Yeah, what are the elements of it? Is there a subset or is there a question that you know the, the AI or machine learning can solve very uh, very well? Yeah, so so I did, I did that for about one and a half years at uh, Brave. Uh -huh. at, at, at Brave. Uh, then from Brave, I moved to Safaricom. Okay. Uh, so Safaricom was launching Safaricom Alpha, mm -hmm. which is the innovation arm mm -hmm. of the company. And the idea was to Look at products that Safaricom, or come up with products that Safaricom would launch in the next. The next ambassador, basically. The next ambassador. <laughs> the uh, next big thing for Safaricom. <laughs> big thing. So can you go through data and come up with uh, interesting? Uh, and they recruited a pretty, pretty kick-ass team, right? Oh, yes, yes, they did. We, we were about eight data scientists. Okay, but the whole Alpha thing. The whole, the whole Alpha team was like massive, you know, from uh, UX designers. Product managers, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. which was a whole, and some of the people I know who work there were just people I, I mean, they are they are the top of their kind of. Yeah, you know, I, I'd say one of the places that uh, I I have was great because it had connections, 
you'd meet everyone from around. It was an aggregator of talent. Yeah, it was an aggregator from everyone. From Nairobi, yeah. yeah. So mm -hmm. it's a very good place to just meet cool Network, people yeah, yeah. and exchange uh, ideas. Exchange ideas. So Firecom yeah. just met kick-ass people. Talent. Yeah. Top talent. Yeah, that was absolutely. So why did Alpha not work? <sighs> That's a tough question. Extremely <laughs> 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 tough. You know, I I couldn't I can't put my finger on it. Mm -hmm. Because first of all, I'm working in a very small segment yeah. of Alpha. It yeah. had separate units, there's yeah. a data unit, there's a product unit, yeah. there's a software development unit. But I, you know, you know, innovation, it's, it's, a, it's, it's easy to say, I'm going to innovate. But if you say how you're going to innovate, that's the key, that's that's, that's, that's the yeah. key uh, thing. And uh, generally when you look at how long would it take to have a successful innovation? Right? That's this one question you get asked. Second thing is, what role do you want to innovate specifically? Because if you look at a very, if you look at an enterprise like Safari, it's like a very massive company, yeah. right? Yeah. They do several things. You have support staff, you have core staff, you have the profit centers, you have the cost centers. So you got to figure out where you want to place your innovation. So the question becomes, my, my view of this was Alpha was going to build non-Safaricom related things, like external facing new markets, new innovations completely, separate from the existing structure of the business. Is that, is that not oh, true? Oh, well, okay. I couldn't answer that high level question. Okay. Right? <laughs> but why, why do we know, like, even if you, you're going to be a separate unit, right, you still need the mother company, or the mother company needs you. It's a symbiotic. Yeah, that's, that's, why, that's, why, that's why those things don't work, because uh, mother companies, their job is to protect the, the crown jewels, the existing business. That, by definition, uh, can stifle innovation, can stifle, because innovation is about experiments and yeah. the ability to move quickly, ask questions that are completely new and different. Yeah. And if you have the mother company holding you back and telling you only, these are the only places we want you to play, it can be difficult because that doesn't work for, that's difficult to do because how do you, how do you... The, the, what's the difference between a company acquiring a startup and having their own innovation hub? So it's, <laughs> the thing is, uh, it's process. It's process and culture and so many things that hold, that people completely and totally underestimate. At the end of the day, you're dealing with human beings. Yeah. Human beings respond to incentives. Yeah. Human beings are very good at looking at the cultural landscape and figuring out what's rewarded and what's punished. So in a startup, yeah. the reward Return, that whole system is, is different. Yeah. It, it, it's kind of like a bunker mentality. You're on a mission. You're like a you're like a military force trying to survive, and everybody's together, and everybody's you know skin in the game. Hopefully, that's the kind of best situation that makes a startup yeah. move at least in, in, in a certain direction, make decision making easier and clear because you're trying to survive at the yeah. end of the day, and you have to kind of find the answer to the problem pretty quickly. Yeah. In corporate, yeah. corporate political type things, <laughs> people have their own kind of like um, interests, if, if this succeeds, will it affect my job, those types of realities. Yeah, this, this is, so actually, so <clears throat> now that I worked at Fricon for about one year, and then I moved to INM Bank, which they also have the innovation unit, they call the IQ, it's, you know, to help the, the bank, you know, come up with better products, also, also refine the existing uh, products. And one thing that, you know, I'm slowly learning is that, you know, you think about a corporate as a keynote, it's like this big juggernaut, not moving, is it? But the things that corporates do extremely well that startups don't do. Mm -hmm. One of the things 
adequate corporate. Like the data management is so good. They have they've invested in systems where I need data about ABCD. I'm just gonna click here, write some scripts, and then get the data. You go work for a startup, someone's publishing an Excel sheet, another person put it in some you know NoSQL database, another guy put it in SQL, and they're like, oh my goodness. Even just getting the data by itself is a problem, right? So like corporates have figured out <clears throat> because they need that data to you know report to run their profits, business. Uh, you know, mm. they need like quarter by quarter reports. Mm. Sometimes startups don't have to care about yeah. quarter by quarter reports. <laughs> so if the only report that matters is that we have money in the bank <laughs> to yeah. quarter them. And if you and if you're a data scientist and if you work for a startup versus you're a corporate, you're likely to get more satisfaction working for a corporate than a startup because the data already exists. It depends. Like that's a very general, broad statement because it, it, it depends on the start. That depends. Also, like you know, uh, like I want to do an experiment about our customers, right? I'm going to pick this group of customers, yeah. segmented my ABCD stuff, and then you know, set up an experiment, let it run. So you're talking about a data access problem. Is it error? And, and the company has been existing for the past twenty years, so they have historicity. So they have historical data. But the thing is, that's cool. Yeah. But if your job is just to kind of, uh, but if your job is to build new products, yeah. um, or how those get funded and how those get greenlighted and how those, you know, you know what I'm saying. So if you want to move fast, it can be challenging. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's, anyway. Yeah, because I was just because it was like. Yesterday or the day, I was listening to a Freakonomics podcast. Is it called? It's called Honey. I built the economy. Is a podcast, and they're comparing about home-based <coughs> innovations and how they never like how the mountain bike was invented. This was uh, invented. People were just tinkering, plus so many other things. For this guy who came up with the idea that all like startups or those home-based you know innovations are very good at coming up with a new product, but corporates are very good at refining that product and taking it to the market. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so, so first of all, if you if you think about if, if they are well designed, they can do that. Uh, if they if they actually have that muscle to do that, absorb a thing and take it to market. Uh, if they have the culture to do that, so it's not just it's not just all corporates can do that very well. Um, I mean, I, I'm talking from I'm talking from many many years of just looking at why businesses the why innovations fail, why they succeed, like, you know, in, in the Bay Area, you, you get to be exposed to so many uh, technology trends and hype cycles and so on and so forth, yeah. and things that people think, oh my God, this is the next great thing, and then a year later, it's dead, and so on and so forth, so, and then there's always this conversation between corporates and startups and, and, and that type of stuff, but you're right, there's, there's things that startups do really well, and there are things that the corporates do well. I think the intersection between those two things where both of them can yeah. coexist is, is not that large. Um, yeah. And so people should know corporates cannot be startups and startups cannot be corporates. Yeah, just, I think startups are very good coming up with an idea or doing a, or, you know, a point of, uh, you know, a concept like, hey, we can, we can actually sell photos to people, blah, 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 blah. This is some random idea. The startup is very good taking that idea and quickly proving that this can work. But taking that to the masses. That's not that's not true. So I if you look so. if you look at what Silicon Valley is excellent at, yeah. is actually doing exactly that. It's actually yeah. commercialization of innovation. Yeah. That's what they are good at. Everything you use on your phone 
was actually a startup. But there's, there's, as, a, as, as listening to different things, reading books and putting all the knowledge together. Otherwise, that, that, otherwise if, if that's true, then every single idea would be bought by somebody and then, then there would only be three companies in the world. But as I said, like, hey, like in, in the US especially, you find people are very good at coming up with products. But the very people who are very good at putting this product into the market. But they're not necessarily corporate people. Yeah, they're not necessarily so in, corporate. So in the area, yeah. here's how it works. Yeah. There are people who are perennially startup. They, they say, this is my job. This is what I do. I help startups scale. Yeah. I help startups go from seed to series A. Those are things that... Yeah, that, that, that yeah. so they don't, necessarily, they don't necessarily corporate, right? But the corporate already has that machine, right? So think about if you were to launch a product that can reach 20 million people. Probably the only company that can do that in Kenya is Safari who can reach 20 million people. It depends on what it is. It depends on what it is. And it depends on your timeline, right? If you, if you want to get to 20 million people tomorrow, of course, you don't have the distribution. Let me give you an example. Uh, I think there's a bookshop that's called Kalahari, right? I think and we have, we've got two minutes to go before we close. Okay. So, <laughs> so we can go all day with this. So let me, let me, just, let me just ask you a, a few final questions here and, and we can kind of close the, the podcast because we're trying to make this much much shorter than we usually do okay. and you and i can go till tomorrow i know <laughs> it's okay you and it's i can okay. go till tomorrow yeah. um so what are some of the lessons that you've learned uh in this in this in this ecosystem in terms of from an innovation standpoint you've tried different things yeah. uh, what are some what are some advice you would give to technical people because you're a technical person yes. if you're trying to actually get into the startup game or you have an idea you're working on something what what advice would you give to them Knowing what to do is important than knowing how to do it. So knowing the problem you're solving, how it's going to affect the market, where you're going to get the money uh, from, is more important than having the technical skills of solving it. That's amazing. Yeah. 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 In, in, invest some time in understanding the problem. Uh, I hire data scientists who can do regressions and do deep learning, but they don't know how to apply that to a problem. How big, do you th- how big of a problem do you think this is? It's a massive problem. In our ecosystem here. It's, I think a lot of people go to Udacity, Coursera, you find a very nice data set, you run an algorithm on it, you, you train it, you, you fine-tune it, the prediction goes up. <clears throat> you come work for a bank or another institution, you don't have a good data set, you have to figure out how do I combine this data set, how do I prepare that, how do I clean my data, mm. how do I prepare it, and 60% of the work is doing that. And also, apart from that, is okay. If I do this, what I'm gonna, I'm gonna move the needle by one percent, two percent. What I, what metric am I looking to change? So connecting the business to the technical is a problem, and also just figuring out how to manage all this data and prepare it for analysis. And, and, and even moving it out of data science more into just any kind of idea, right? Yeah, and, and you know, some ideas. One of the things I figured out: consumer businesses are tough in Kenya. If you're building a startup, consumer businesses are tough in Kenya because. First of all, you, you need a massive budget for marketing, right? For you to reach everyone in Bungoma, in Moyale, you need massive, but because you're not regenerating. So here's the thing, there's something called, uh, uh, <laughs> there's something called growth hacking, that if you can figure out how to drive um, organic growth, uh, that there's a much, people have figured out ways that you can actually yeah, drive but, growth but, hacking. So, so marketing, this is, these are some of the things that, that most people don't study how startups, not even startups, just how innovation is commercialized. There is a big gap there. 
People don't, let me explain. People don't even listen to podcasts about how people build things. They don't go and go deep and treat it like a discipline. They just think, I'll just go and build this thing and then I'll put marketing behind it and it will work. They don't know what growth hacking is. They don't stay on the latest. And so for me, the, the reality of the situation, like you said, commercialization is the most important part of the innovation process. Correct. I mean, not the most important part. They're both important because if you don't have an innovation, you can't commercialize yeah, anything. So for me, it's this. Having blanket statements like that, I always ask. I have found that, that people don't respect it. They don't respect it enough. They don't really dig deep. They don't become, they don't nerd out yeah. on how to drive a business forward, especially with innovation. They don't do that. Yeah, because there's uh, uh, <clears throat> somebody who say that if you can't take it to the market, they don't consider it an innovation. You can create a fancy bike, you can create a fancy TV, a fancy whatever, but the point where you take it to the market... That's what matters. Now that's where you, you move from a fancy product into an innovation. It has to be useful. Mm -hmm. Someone has to buy it. Right. A lot of people have to buy it. Right. And uh, if, if, if you think that process of how do I convince someone to buy this... That's the and, thing. ...and make people to buy it. That's the, uh, that's the problem. That's the problem, yeah. yeah. And, and so, so the thing is, everybody's so excited about being an engineer and being technical, and they think yeah. they've finished the job. No, it's, 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 that's not the end. Because if you, if, if you go to a company and the, you, know, you work with a product manager and think, hey, how can you change this thing about whether you're engineering a piece of you know, a nice-looking microphone, right? you have to figure out what kind of people use microphones? What's the market for microphones? What's the total addressable market? You've got to be a product manager. That's a very important thing you said. Most <laughs> people, so, wow. And, and that's what Steve Jobs and Silicon Valley do so well, right? They connect the innovation to a market and, a, and their marketing is so important to them. Yeah. And it goes, you know, people talk about user-centric design and so on and so forth. Uh, but um, I'm really excited about where we are right now because we can now start to marry up Technical, yeah. and I think the technical people in our ecosystem are maybe starting to respect the business side. They have to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a bit, oh, there's something interesting someone told me. I've not researched it. You're saying like when they're creating the MacBooks, they wanted to know what's the best feel of a MacBook. So they went to do like massive research, and like you're gonna carry a MacBook everywhere, and they wanted to replicate the feeling when you carry a baby. So the neck, wow. the, Smooth. the smoothness <laughs> of the back went into a similar when you carry, because you have a very good feeling when you're carrying an infant. Right. So like, you know, they want, when you're carrying the back, you should feel, feel good. Like, oh, you carry a baby, that's yeah. amazing. And I was like, this is so amazing. Like, the, the, the length that they go through to just make you feel nice about the product, because it's about the product, and the product, and the product. And this is what, for me, I'm so excited, because we're going into a phase right now where it's, it's really about commercialization of innovation and, yes. and, and that's kind of, in my view, that's my strength too. That's my, my strength. Yeah. And that's what I'm passionate about. It's about changing the world for real. Um, and looking forward to working with people like yourself who are deep in their, in their zone, they're good at what they do, and then we can form partnerships and actually build great African companies. That's what I'm excited about. And one last thing that you, you want to say to our audience any last piece of advice or insight or funny thing that <laughs> any research that you've come across that you think anything that you think would be useful? Oh wow! You know, I I read so many things, and one of the things that uh, I think uh, from maybe say from a data perspective, what you know outside data is what will save you. Right? Interesting. Uh, you know, you, you can drill it into the deep learning, uh, all the fancy algorithms. It's great, but most of the time, what you know, what you can combine outside. Your data. In the real world, in the real world, that's what you normally save you. And uh, uh, for me, like that's why I want to work for a bank, I want to work for a telco company. 
work with different industries so that I can see how data plays are also right for the, the daily nation. So I can see how data plays in different things and I have this overview of how the world is, yeah. Yeah, so I think what you know more outside data will save you uh, in your data uh, uh, job. And uh, read and read and read until you know. That's another thing about you read as I read history, I read psychology a bit of it. I read science, I read anything I find uh, interesting. But I think someone asked me, will this data science thing die? I was like, I don't know. I don't make predictions because in this market, there are no experts. You just find something interesting and run with it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Chris. Uh, it's been a fascinating conversation. It always is with you when we get together. <laughs> Thanks for having you're, me. You're a polymath. Right? <laughs> you absorb so much information and knowledge. And so that's it for the Chinya Manji podcast this week. It's kind of fo focused around data science. So all you people who are interested in that subject matter will find something useful in this. And even if you're an entrepreneur, um, you know, uh, the same concepts apply. So until next time, enjoy the podcast. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>